Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Well, it is, um, as Oren said, the uh, last Sunday um, of the season of, of Epiphany in the Christian calendar. We're about to head into Lent. So Ash Wednesday is the start of Lent and it's preceded by Shrove Tuesday. So if you ever just need to eat pancakes in the morning, Tuesday is your day. Traditionally, that was because you needed to use up all your eggs and butter. And so you'd you'd use it all to make pancakes and eat them all on Tuesday because the fasting began on Wednesday. That's the history behind it. But um, you you can do what you want. And so, yeah, we'll begin um, Lent with an Ash Wednesday service here, which will be short and reflective and inviting us into the spirit of Lent, which is one in which we begin to turn our attention a little bit more towards the cross, um, both the cross of Christ and the beauty and the wonder that um, that is, but also Lent's a time of reflecting in our own lives the work of the cross and the ways in which we pick up our own cross and follow Jesus, the ways in which our lives um, become more and more reflective of of Christ. And so, yeah, this is uh, the last Sunday in Epiphany. And traditionally, it's always the Sunday where we look at the Transfiguration. So it's always called Transfiguration Sunday. And so that's the passage of Scripture we're going to be reading together Today, and it's found in all of the Synoptic Gospels, so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I'm going to read this morning from um, Matthew. So I might read it off the screen because I think I put a slightly different translation than what I've got in my Bible. You will be probably familiar with this rather strange story. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly, that's that's a divine um, cutoff if you've ever seen one, right? (laughs) Anyway, um, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And so we have this quite remarkable encounter that Peter, James and John have on the mountain with Jesus. 
And what I want to do this morning is talk to you a little bit about how um, we might see this story um, holding us in our spiritual lives or offering us wisdom for our own spiritual lives or giving us a kind of metaphorical perspective on what it is to walk with God. And so I want to, for a minute, zoom out from this story and consider this story in its sort of wider context, we could say, within the Gospel of Matthew and within the Gospel landscape in particular. And then we'll come back down into some of the details of the story. So you will probably uh, know that mountains are incredibly significant for the Jewish people. Um, Lots of amazing things happened on the tops of mountains. We read that all through the scriptures, that often when people met with God, they'd go up the mountain to do so. When um, significant things happen, they often happen on mountaintops. So within the kind of cultural psyche and the spiritual kind of waters of the Jewish people, mountains are really significant. And so that's like kind of like a key marker as we begin to read this story, that this story happens on the top of a mountain. It's telling us something about the significance of of this story. None of the authors who tell this story, Matthew, Mark or Luke, tell us what mountain they're on. It's just an unnamed high mountain. Now that can probably have a little bit of significance too because rather than specifically locating it geographically, it's left a little bit open, meaning that perhaps this is offered to us as a, as a metaphor for other mountain experiences, not just geographically located. I mean, we can actually geographically locate this because we know that the last known location of Jesus in a couple of verses before this story, he was in Caesarea Philippi. The, own, the highest mountain closest to Caesarea Philippi is Mount Hermon. So we can geographically say perhaps they climbed Mount Hermon, which is actually a really tall mountain. It's like its peak is 2,814 metres above sea level. Like what's Mount Kira, 400? It is, isn't it? So that's like, it's Kosciuszko 20, all right, so it's, it's a tall mountain. I mean, how long did it take them? Did they climb? I don't know. Let's not get into the details. It's a long, it's a long walk. What I want to suggest to us this morning, um, taking that broader perspective, is that when we read the Gospel of Matthew, we read about some significant mountain events that happen across the gospel and there's a few but in particular I I, as I see it there are like three main kind of like mountain events that we encounter in the gospel of Matthew and perhaps these mountain things can offer us a metaphor for our own spiritual lives to finding ourselves in our own walk with God. These might be metaphorical mountains of the spiritual life. So the first one we come across in the Gospel of Matthew is, of course, the unnamed mountain upon which Jesus gives his sermon on the mount. (laughs) It's called Sermon on the Mount. Jesus climbs up some kind of mountain, hill, higher place, 
and in the most concise and the most direct kind of content we have of the message of Jesus, he speaks to his disciples and all who are listening and he lays out an explanation of the way, the way to live as a person of God. And so we have the mountain of learning, the mountain of listening, the mountain of, we could say, unlearning and relearning as we encounter the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Then in the roughly sort of in the middle of Matthew's gospel here in chapter 17, we have the transfiguration, which also happens on on an unknown mountain. And as we read in, the, in our story, I can think we can see this mountain as a mountain of encounter and a mountain of mystery. It's, it's more mystical than what we get on the mountain where Jesus teaches. And the last mountain we sort of encounter in the Gospel of Matthew is, of course, is named Mount Calvary. Um, the mountain on which Jesus died, or the, it's, it's not probably a traditional mountain, but it is a mount, the mount of death and dying, the mountain of dying to self. And of course, if we're speaking of mountains and things that happen on mountaintops, of course, we have to acknowledge that most of life is lived in between, on the plains, in the valleys. We know that from our own lives. We know that from reading the Gospels, that most of the content of what actually happens in the Gospels happens in between these mountains. We might go up these mountains to to have an experience or to encounter something or to learn something new or to have an epiphany about something. But most of our life is lived in the ordinary valleys of existence. And all of this, of course, is a metaphor that I'm offering us this morning. But if these three mountains offer us a way of understanding the spiritual life and seeing things um, in our walk with faith, a question I have for you this morning is, which mountain do you feel the closest to today? If you were to... Think about your life, your spiritual life, your life of faith. Which of these three mountains do you feel connected to? The mountain of listening and unlearning and relearning, of sitting in the Jesus way. The mountain of encounter and mystery and unknown and strangeness. Or the mountain of of death. No one really wants to be close to that mountain, but we are called to be people who die to ourselves. And our walk, our spiritual walk, inevitably takes us up paths that challenge us to die to ourselves. As we enter Lent, we're going to be circling a lot closer to the mountain of Calvary and the crucifixion. Lent invites us to perhaps draw closer to that mountain. But where are you right now, if you were to think about your life? If we come back to the actual text of the transfiguration that we read, um, 
there are two really significant things that happen right before Jesus takes Peter, James and John up this mountain. The first is that Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they all have an answer. And then Jesus asks them, and who do you say that I am? And so Jesus really is, is provoking, I think, his, his disciples to consider, like, now that you've seen some things, who do you say that I am? And then after that little encounter, um, Jesus tells them for the very first time, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will suffer and he'll be put to death. And of course, Peter says, no, that will never happen to you. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Not calling Peter Satan, but that idea of avoidance. Those two things happen right before Jesus takes Peter, James and John up the mountain. I think they're significant things because on, perhaps on one side of this mountain of mystery and encounter, are things are questions, questions about who Jesus is, questions about who God is. Who do you say that I am? And perhaps on one side of this mountain of mystery and encounter is also the idea that if we're bumping up against the absurdity of suffering and death and questions of suffering and death, maybe we're a little bit closer to the mountain of mystery than what we might think. Because these two events happen right before Jesus takes his followers up. On the other side of the mountain, which we read really briefly, Jesus says to, his, says to Peter, James and John, don't, don't talk about what you've seen. Jesus challenges these three men towards silence and reflection and contemplation and he says, don't talk about these things until after the Son of Man has risen. I mean, I don't think they under, even understood what he was saying then. The whole thing was just gobbledygook to them. But he invites them towards silence and reflection. And maybe those are other things that help us realise that maybe we're close to the mountain of mystery when we're questioning, when we're confronted, when silence is a good companion. One of the things I really enjoy about Matthew's positioning of this transfiguration text is it's 10 verses after they come down from the mountain. So they've had this like mountaintop experience, incredible like mystical encounter. And 10 verses after they come down the mountain, they're talking about taxes and having an argument, or not an argument, but having an encounter with taxes. And I just think, isn't that the reality of life? That we have on occasion these mountaintop experiences with God, but it doesn't take long for reality to actually kick in. And I think, you know, there's nothing more glorious than a mountaintop experience and nothing more mundane than a conversation about taxes. But Matthew kind of sits them next to each other because isn't that life? 
Isn't that reality? Yes, there are mountaintop experiences, and yes, we have to pay tax. And they're just two things that paint life in all its reality. But let's just go back to the text for a minute. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and leads them up a mountain by themselves. And there he's transfigured um, in front of them. Now, that word transfigured just means transformed, um, metamorphosized. Is that the word? Metamorphed? Metamorphed. I think it's metamorpho is the Greek. Just changed. He's changed before their very eyes. This Jesus that they've been walking with, this very ordinary Jesus, human Jesus, all of a sudden starts to shine. And his face becomes as bright as the sun and his clothes become as bright as light. And I really like one of the translations when I was reading with, reading this in said, and his clothes um, became fuller than any fuller could fool them. And it was like, because, that, you, know, you know, they're not, there's no bleach in Jesus's day. They're wearing like what, linen, natural fibers. Most people probably wore beige. I don't know. I don't really know. I know that maybe they had some color. They had color. But they certainly didn't have like white. Not white like we know white. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes out of a washing machine commercial and he's bright. And then Moses and Elijah appear. And we're meant to see the connections in this. Moses went up the mountain to get the law. Elijah went up the mountain as the prophet of God to hear God's voice, which comes to him still and silent and quiet. Both of these men have had their own mountaintop experiences and we're meant to see the connections here between Moses, the giver of the law, and Elijah, the prophet. And here, of course, we're meant to see that we have the law and the prophets having a conversation with the gospel. We're meant to see those connections as we read this. Moses and Elijah, everything that they were pointing to in their own way, thousands of years before Jesus, they now get to see in the flesh and have a conversation with. What do they talk about? We don't know. They didn't think that was worthy of recording. But they chatted. And I, I, as a, I, one of the beautiful things I read in my research and reading around this passage was um, someone said, now we see the law and the prophets transfigured by the Messiah. And because of that, it is possible for us to see Jesus transfigured on every page of scripture. That every time we read the Old Testament law or the prophets, we are supposed to see the transfigured Messiah present within that text. That's how we read it now. Because on this mountain, the law and the prophets come to be with God, with Jesus. One of the things I'm really, uh, I love about this passage and I love looking at the Bible. It's a work of art. It's a linguistic literature work of art. And I'm really intrigued by Matthew's 
use of both dazzling light and darkness in this text. Both are present. We see that Jesus shines like the sun. His clothes are as bright as light. That while, you know, Peter's bubbling along about what to do, a bright, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Like that's poetry. A bright cloud overshadowed them. That's taking darkness and light and weaving them together in really amazing ways. In the mystical tradition of our, of our faith, it's recognised that bright light and deep darkness are experientially the same thing for us because we're blinded by both. Like you cannot look into the face of the sun and still see. Jesus' face shined like the sun. He, he blinded the disciples. But equally, a bright cloud overshadowing you is an experience of darkness in which, again, you cannot see. So whether you're encountering bright light or deep darkness, the experience for us humans is the same, blindness, we cannot see. And so the mystics kind of understood that whether or not we feel like we're experiencing you know, great light and epiphanies and mystery and miracles and wonders and things that are too amazing for us. In a way, that blinds us. Same as times of darkness, when we can't see, when we're lost and blinded and overshadowed, we, we can't see. Light and dark can be the same experience for us. Both have immense potential to be an encounter with the Holy One. Generally, we prefer to t talk about light. But for those who know the deep treasures of the spiritual walk, we know it's possible that mystery and encounter and holiness is also found in darkness. And so I'm intrigued that this story of encounter has within it both light and dark. And so I want to offer that to you this morning as a, as a thing in the pocket of your own spiritual life. That if you feel at times like you might be walking in the dark, don't discount it as encounter with God. Because sometimes the richest of revelation, the richest of encounter happens in the darkness if we're willing to find God within that. I, I wonder if Matthew is inviting us to see that God is in both. God is in the light, God is in the dark. And the truth is that for Peter, James and John, this mountaintop experience was both incredible and terrifying. It actually says that they were terrified and as I read this story I read it I could read it a little bit like a mystical who sank the boat you know the who sank the boat story um, I feel like this is a story of a mystical who sank the boat they go up the mountain all is well 
Jesus' face starts to shine like the sun. I mean, that's weird, but we're okay with that. Then his clothes get really bright. We're okay with that. Moses shows up. Okay, we're okay with that. Then comes Elijah. Still okay. They're having a conversation. What Jesus is talking with, how do we want to describe them? Ghosts? Spectres? We're okay with that. Uh, then a, a, a bright cloud starts to overshadow them. We're still okay with that. But when the voice comes from the cloud, the mouse hops in the boat and they're on their face terrified. It's like this cascading thing of like, I don't know that I would have been okay with anything from the beginning. But they do quite all right until they get to the, to the voice from the cloud. And then they fall on their face terrified. And that, that is not like they had mild anxiety and kind of, that's like they're terrified. And they fall on their face and they hear a voice come from the, from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. I wonder how we're meant to hear that listen to him. Listen to him when he said to you a few days ago, I'm going to die, and you couldn't accept it. Listen to him when he says suffering and death are a part of my inevitable journey and probably a part of yours as well, but we don't want to hear that. Or is it more immediate, listen to him, when he comes over and says to you, don't be afraid. I don't know, listen to him. It's offered to us. Listen to Jesus. There are lots and lots of voices that will compete for your attention. Listen to Jesus. And after they're on their face and they're terrified, Jesus comes over to them touches them and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Whether you're blinded by the light or overshadowed by the dark, don't be afraid. And the last thing that I love about this text is that after Jesus comes over and in their fear touches them, and says, don't be afraid. They look up and they see nothing but Jesus. And I wonder if we're meant to hear that as the overflow of any encounter, any radical encounter we have that is beyond our understanding, that it should always lead us to a place where we see nothing but Jesus where he is all that there is in our vision, nothing but Jesus. So if we zoom back out and think back towards our three mountains that I've suggested Matthew offers us, I'm struck by the fact that we can actually choose to walk up the mountain of learning 
and unlearning and listening and relearning. Like we can actually choose to position ourselves more deeply under the teaching of Jesus, to listen to him as he gives us the way of life. We can choose that. That's a choice we can make in our spiritual lives. If we feel like we're not really quite sure how to live, we're not really quite sure what's right for us, we can go and position ourselves up the mountain and listen to Jesus. I think it's also true that we can choose to go up the mountain of Calvary. We can choose to sit ourselves at the foot of the cross. We can choose to gaze at our crucified Messiah. We can choose to hear his voice that says, pick up your cross and follow me. And we ask the questions, what does it mean to love? What does it mean to lay our lives down for others? What does it mean to die to ourselves? Like, that's a choice we can make. We can choose to position ourselves and to, to do that in our spiritual lives if we feel the invitations of the Spirit taking us there. But we can't actually choose to go up the mountain of encounter on our own. That has to be somewhere that Jesus takes us. That's the mountain, I think, over which we have no control. We have no real control over the experiences and encounters we have with God in this kind of mystery, mystical, radical sense. We have to be led there. And on that mountain of mystery and encounter, it might be light, it might be darkness, it might be, <laughs> we might be blinded, it might be freaky, we might know fear and the unknown, but we will be left with Jesus and he will say to us, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so I want to leave us, leave all of us with a few questions this morning just to reflect on as we've, we've zoomed out and we've zoomed in on this text, this strange and wonderful story of the transfiguration of Jesus. And I want to offer these questions to you as just ways that you can reflect in your own spiritual life, thinking about where you're at, what God is doing, how you feel. And these are the questions I want to offer you this morning. How does it feel to consider that times of darkness might be as much an encounter with God as times of bright light? How does that feel to hear that said out loud? I want to offer you this thought if you feel today like you are experiencing um, a time of darkness. It's, it's not uncommon and it's not, not to be, we're not to be frightened. In our spiritual tradition, understanding that times of walking in the dark are a part of the spiritual life, that's normal. St. John of the Cross has written many, many beautiful things on the dark night of the soul. And many of us at different times in our life experience elements of that, experience times of darkness, of dryness, of emptiness, of, of blindness. If you find yourself 
walking through that kind of space right now in your spiritual life, what you need is someone who is not afraid of the dark to be next to you. Often we're in times of darkness, we think, I've just got to get out of this and I need, I need the magic pill to get me out of the difficulty. But I want to suggest to you that what you actually need is someone who's not afraid of the dark and can sit with you for as long as it takes for you to encounter what God has for you in that darkness. And there are people that can do that. Second question, have you had a radical encounter with God, a mountaintop experience, probably different to Peter, James and John's, but have you had one of those? If you have, what, have you, what did you learn? What did you come down the mountain with after you had one of those? Of these three mountains that I've suggested Matthew offers us, the mountain of learning, the mountain of encounter, the mountain of dying, which do you feel most drawn to right now? <laughs> and which do you feel most hesitant about? I nearly said repulsed by, but that sounded a bit too strong, so I went with hesitant. But it's okay to also recognise that there might be a mountain that you're like, don't take me to that mountain. So. Of, of these three, what, what's drawing you and what, what are you feeling resistant or hesitant towards? And then the last question, what would you like to say to Jesus about life on the mountaintops and life in the valleys or on the plains? If you were to have a conversation with Jesus about the contours of the spiritual life, what would you want to say to him? What would you want to ask him? What would you want to talk, talk about? And so maybe just for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to let you just talk with the people next to you about any of those questions or none of them. If you're not in the right frame of mind, you might want to just listen. But take a few moments with the people that are next to you and just share something that has struck you this morning, something you might go away with to consider, something that you sense the Spirit of God might be speaking to you about. We might do that for a few minutes and then I'll gather us back together and then we're going to finish by coming to the table. So just, yeah, turn to the couple of people. No pressure to share. If you don't feel like talking, just listen to those around you. And let's just wrestle a little bit with this as it impacts our lives. We are going to come to the table of the Lord, which in light of today's passage on the transfiguration where Jesus is changed in front of Peter, James and John, there is a way in which we also recognise that this bread and this port and juice is transfigured in our midst, that this, is, this bread is Jesus to us that this wine is Jesus to us, that these simple elements become something other than what they are as we hold them and as we gaze upon them and as we receive them. And so I want to offer that to you this morning as a way in which you can come to the table. Come to receive Jesus. Come to see Jesus in the bread, in the wine. Come and hold Jesus in your hands. Come and let Jesus
be with you as you eat and as you drink. And as you gather up the things that you've been thinking, the things that you've been sharing, the things that you've heard, and the things that you're considering deeper in your heart, I want you to hold all of those things as you eat and drink and just give thanks for mountaintops. Give thanks for the Jesus way. Give thanks for mystery. Give thanks for death and resurrection because these things are life to us, however close or far away at times we feel from them. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.